Recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christagenia Internet Radio. Today is Friday, June 6, 2014. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. As those who heard last week's program know, I, I was out of town for most of the week with my lovely wife, Melissa. We were in... um. Gatlinburg yesterday and, and, and today seeing visiting with Pastor Mark Downey and his wife, Debbie, and that was enjoyable, and the fellowship was good, as always. The, um, so, so I don't have a program prepared. We'll do Romans Part 10, Romans Chapter 8, next week at this time in the same place. Tonight I'm going to have an open lines program. I'm going to have a few comments before I begin. The people listening to this program on Christogenia may not understand everything I'm about to say, but, but I'm sure much most of them have been in the program to talk to at one time or another, and, and, and they will understand, or, or they've seen the Christogenia Forum and the history that 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 has suffered in in many ways. There's a few people tonight in in the um, well, one person in in particular in the Christogenia page at Talkshu right now. He goes by the name of Martin Lindstedt, and and he has a host of sock puppets. I tossed Martin Lindstedt's filthy Jewish ass and, and his mother's last name, her maiden name was Samuelson. He claimed she was Swedish, but Samuelson is not a Swedish name. It's a Jewish name. No Swede is named Samuelson. It's a Jewish name. It's not Swedish at all. He was tossed off of the, off of the Christogenia Forum four years ago, for his filthy mouth, his filthy demeanor, his filthy mind, and he exhibits all the fruits of a filthy kike bastard. And that's the truth. Just go look at his forums and look at his posts, which are no longer at Christogenia. He's been trolling Christogenia ever since I tossed his filthy ass out of my forum. He's been trolling Christogenia, and that proves that this man is no Christian. When Christians have a disagreement that's irreconcilable, they move on. They move on to something else, to something productive. They spend their time doing things that are productive in edifying their fellow brethren and building the kingdom of Yahweh on earth in preparing their brethren for the kingdom of Yahweh on earth. That's what Christians do when they disagree. They don't go trolling other people's pages week after week after week, two evenings a week. They're there trolling, hoping to get a word in edgewise, hoping to get some attention. Well, now the filthy Jew bastard has some attention. How could I call him that? Well, the proof is that he's been trolling my talk show page for four years now. And he trolls elsewhere, but he's been trolling my talk show page for four years. That proves that he's a filthy Jew bastard. That in itself proves that. I don't have time. 
I, I spend my time, when I'm not with my wife or my family, I spend my time engaged in things that I pray are productive in one way or another, writing essays, working on my websites, posting historical data, writing next week's Bible studies. All of that stuff takes me 40, 50, 60 hours a week. No lie. Sometimes more than that. All of that stuff it is, to me, productive. Patrolling other people's forums because I have a disagreement with them, that's not productive. He's not trolling my forums for four years because he has a disagreement with me. He's trolling my forums because he's a filthy Jew bastard pretending to be a Christian identity pastor so that he could turn Christian identity into a circus. And like I said in the past few weeks, it's not hard to spot the clowns at a circus. Four weeks ago, I did a program entitled, maybe it was five weeks ago, I might have to apologize. I did a program entitled Sons or Bastards. And that program was design, designed to address some, not all, just some of the folly that certain Christian identity so-called pastors have taken up in arms in order to justify the presence of bastards. And when I say bastards in this sense, I'm not referring to this filthy Jew pig sitting here listening to this program. Martin Lindstedt. When I say bastards in this sense, I'm talking about people of mixed race. Oh, I'm sorry. That describes Lindstedt too. I'm talking about people that, that of mixed race that do not belong among the children of Israel. How could a Christian identity pastor do that? How could he promote the presence of bastards or uh, allow and approve of the presence of bastards in the congregation of Yahweh. Well, I, I, I explained in Sons and Bastards that some of them attempt to go back and revise the meaning of certain Hebrew words, like kahal, in order to get away with that deception. It is deception, there's no doubt. A bastard shall not enter the congregation, and in that sense, we demonstrated clearly that congregation is the body politic of the children of Israel in its entirety, men, women, and children. And in the law of Yahweh, all bastards are to be excluded. And it's interesting the response I got, most vehemently, from another clown that calls himself an Aryan Nations pastor named Jeremy Visser. And we've determined, and, and we've looked into this Jeremy Visser dirtbag, who has trolled our forums incessantly for the last four weeks, ever since we did this program, he's been trolling four or five nights a week sometimes with, with an army of 10,000 sock puppets. And we have proof establishing 
that it is indeed Jeremy Visser who is posing as all of these different sock puppets. We have proof of that posted in the Christiania Forum in a private section of the forum entitled Schismaticians. However, I'm going to put the link to some of that proof in, um, in the chat rooms because while, the, while Schismaticians is a private section of the forum, it's not closed to the public. It simply can't be seen unless you're a member of the forum. But if you have the link, you don't need to see it in order to get there. So I'm going to post that in, in, in talk to you and in the chat right now. Visser has been trolling our forums and especially our talk show page incessantly for four weeks now, for five weeks, ever since we did the Sons or Bastards program and basically outed his ass as a universalist. For three years, four years, Jeremy Visser would not take a position. He totally refused to take any public position on universalism in Christian identity. He even sought doing a program to redefine what universalism was. Typical Jewish fashion, you don't like uh, a label, you seek to redefine the meaning of the label. Well, his trolling our forums for the last four or five weeks proves to us, it, it, to me, it, it, it vindicates our position that Jeremy Visser is pro-universalist because he himself is not white. And we published, um, we published information and pictures in the Christogonia Forum over the last four weeks. We published it because of Jeremy Visser's trolling of our forums. And that information demonstrates that it is highly likely that Jeremy Visser is not white. And he too, like Martin Lindstedt, he too is simply another clown in the circus pretending to be Christian identity so that he could turn Christian identity into a circus and discredit it. That's their motives. Jeremy Visser, Martin Winstead, that is their motives. Eli James, he's another story. He's also a universalist, um, supposedly Christian identity pastor. He's the dirtbag that wanted to, um, and, and we have the recordings, redefine white as being someone who's 85% white and, and, and call that person a white man. And so what brethren had to say, hold it, he's not white if he's 85% white. And, and this demonstrates that these people don't understand the difference between a sheep and a tear, a sheep and a goat, the wheat and the tares, the tares. And, and this was taught by Wesley Swift and Bertrand Compare. They got a lot of things right, and this is one of them. They understood that a tear was somebody who was partially white and partially not, and therefore they could stay among the wheat and appeared to be weak. That's Swift and Compare. 
And Eli James claims that somebody that's 85% white is white. No, that's a tear. And all two-seed-line identity Christians should readily understand that. Otherwise, you certainly don't understand the label whatsoever. Now of late, we have Bruce Gorman, and, and he's a real clown. Bruce Gorman sat in my, in my chat server, the Christagenia.net TeamSpeak chat server, for um, close to four years. He participated in many of the old Christagenia open forum programs. He was married to a Filipino woman when he was in the Navy, and he had children by her, several children, two or three. I don't remember the exact number. And he pretended, all the time he sat in the Christagenia chat room, he pretended to be repentant of his race mixing. And ever since I did the Sons of Bastards program, Bruce Gorman has, has um, suddenly, after hanging out in my chat, my chat room for four years, he has suddenly claimed that I'm a Jew all over his Facebook page. Why am I a Jew? Well, the only reason why Bruce Gorman can call me a Jew is because... I'm teaching absolute racial segregation, which is indeed the Word of God, but Bruce is telling people that I'm teaching the Talmud. And you know, Eli James has referred to my teaching on the other races and scripture as Talmudic. So where do you think Bruce Gordon is getting his ideas from? They're certainly not original. Now, there's some clowns, and, and, and there are some dirtbags who are supposedly truth movement people and, and white nationalists. I'm going to name some of them. Daryl Bradford Smith, Scott Summers, John Kaminsky. There are others. These clowns, they claim that anybody who is a racist is base, and any Christian who is a racist is basically adopting Jewish supremacy for themselves and teaching the Talmud. That's the line of John Kaminsky, Scott Summers, um, Daryl Bradford Smith, Eli James, and now Bruce Gorman. He's a dirtbag. He has these Filipino kids that he just can't accept will never make it into the kingdom of heaven. No bastard is going to make it into the kingdom of heaven. And the truth is that the people who accept diversity, the people who accept bastards, those people, the people who accept the products of race mixing and people who race mix, those people, they are the ones who have swallowed the Jewish Talmud because these things, it can clearly be demonstrated, have been the objective of the Jews for 7,000 years to destroy our race 
through race fixing. That's the Jewish objective. That is documented. That is very well documented right in our Bibles. It's also documented in history again and again and again and again. It's a psychological ploy to label white separatist Christians as Jewish supremacists or Talmudists or wanting to mimic the Jews or wanting to make themselves the Jews. The truth is, historically, the Jews have made every attempt to make themselves us. They're the ones who have infiltrated the kingdom of God all throughout time and have attempted to take over those kingdoms and have caused many great nations and empires to be destroyed through race mixing. So if we accept race mixing, if we accept the products of race mixing, we basically accept the works of the devil which Christ came to destroy. I did a program and wrote a Saxon Messenger editorial back in March of 2013. The title was Scatterers and Gatherers. I didn't do it as an entire program. It was actually the, um, it, it was the prelude to one of my Amos presentations because it fit in with one of the passages in the book of Amos that I was presenting that evening. A lot of people talk about this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And they say, oh, that's not race mixing. And, and they make up all kinds of stories. One clown that does that is Don Spears, who has one daughter married to a Cherokee Indian and another daughter married to a sandmaker in Jordan. Yes, she is. Ask Don Spears about his two daughters. And he has mixed-race grandchildren. And he's devised this newfang newfangled theology that the word best, or, or I'm sorry, the word congregation in Deuteronomy 23.2, that, that's just the upper crust elite. That's not all of the children of Israel. Well, which is a lie, because it certainly is all of the children of Israel. So Don Spears is attempting to create a Christian identity, like Eli James, but using a different method and a different tactic, create a Christian identity that's safe for people of mixed race. Because Don Spears, being comfortable in his own skin, being comfortable in his own race mixed family, he insists that these people must be acceptable. That's what he's doing what with his study on the word tahal, his idea that God's somehow going to cleanse the, the blood of bastards to make them white again. That's ridiculous. If God could cleanse the blood of bastards, then why are bastards mentioned in the Bible in a negative sense? Why are bastards in, in the book of Hebrews set 
opposite to the idea of sons by Paul of Tarsus in Hebrews 12a, what does it matter? If, if, if God's going to cleanse the blood of bastards, why do we have tares? There are no tares. God will cleanse their blood, and, and there's no problem. It's okay. You could be mixed race. God will just cleanse your blood. So why don't we all go out and race mix? Why don't we all go find a nigger tonight and sleep with him? Why not? It don't matter. God will be happy. He'll have more blood to cleanse. This is so ridiculous. These ideas are so absurd. They are so contrary to Scripture. They are big lies. They're all big lots. In scatterers and gatherers, I stated that Yahshua Christ links three concepts in Matthew chapter 12. Those three concepts are scattering and gathering, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and the good and bad trees. Christ, when he gave his dialogues recorded by the apostles, he wasn't merely, merely flitting from topic to topic like a butterfly moves across the field of dandelions. That's not what Christ was doing. When he gave his dialogues, his discourses, the topics were very often related one to another to another to another, and they were all related aspects of the same topic. And one of those occasions is very clear in Matthew chapter 12. And I'm going to read from verse 30. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathers not with me scatters abroad. Now, every place we look in Scripture... The purpose of Yahshua Christ is to gather the sheep. John chapter 10, Matthew chapter 15. He didn't come to gather anything to him except the sheep. This is the same objective spelled out in many prophecies concerning those sheep. Prophecies such as Isaiah chapter 56 where where Yahweh is called he who gathers Israel. There are many places in the prophets where Israel is going to be gathered, and no alien or nobody from other races are ever one time going to be gathered to the children of Israel. That idea is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? From Matthew chapter 12 where Christ says, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathers not with me scatters abroad. When you gather wolves to the sheepfold or goats to the sheepfold, you are scattering the sheep. Wherefore, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. Why is Christ saying this? He's saying this on account of what he said in verse 30. That wherefore, in the Christianian New Testament, that is translated as for this reason. Wherefore, that word, the Greek to that word, 
the Greek words that that word is translated from mean for this reason or because of this. Wherefore means because of this. Christ says, he that does not scatter, I'm sorry, he does, does not gather with me scatters abroad. And then he says, because of this, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven unto men. So if you're not gathering with Christ, that's because you're trying to gather something other than sheep into the sheepfold. And if you are gathering something other than sheep into the sheepfold, then you are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. These two ideas are connected with that word, wherefore, which means for this reason or because of this. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of sanctity between Yahweh and his people Israel, which in the end he is not going to allow to be violated, not by any means. And Don Spears and Eli James and Jeremy Visser and Martin Lindstedt and Bruce Gorman and, and his um, Bruce Gorman's Messiah, whose name is Screwy Dewey Tucker, all these people are basically clowns, and they're scattering the sheep. And they're all attempting to turn Christian identity into a circus by trolling forums, by, by posting um, millions of posts in places that they are not invited. Tonight I'm going to have open lines, and, and I'm going to invite people to call in. But if you're a scatterer, I don't want to hear from you. If you don't agree with my Sons and Bastards program, I don't want to hear from you. If you think that bastards or, or that people of other races are going to enter the kingdom of heaven or see the kingdom of heaven, I don't want to hear from you. Don't come around here. I don't know which, um, which part of that phrase, don't come around here no more, that these people claiming to be Christian identity pastors don't understand. They evidently don't understand part of that phrase. Don't come around here no more. I don't want to hear from the, the race-mixing sycophants of Eli James. I don't want to hear from Bruce Gorman. He should repent. He should put away his half-Filipino kids and repent. If he thinks that he's going to blaspheme people that stand on the race issue, that stand for the truth on the race issue, if he thinks he's going to blaspheme those people while he's coddling his half-squat monster kids, he's got to be kidding himself. If he thinks that Yahweh is joking when he says that he's going to tear up every plant which he did not plant, if he thinks God is joking, he's got to be kidding himself. 
He's going to watch his half-squat monster kids go into the lake of fire. And the Jew bastard Martin Lindstedt's going to go along with them. And the half-breed Jeremy Visser's going to go along with them. And Don Spears' grandkids that he's, he's actually teaching the promotion of race mixing to cover for his own family. That's what he's doing. That's what Don Spears is doing. He's teaching blasphemy to the Holy Spirit to run cover for his own bastard grandkids. That's what he's doing. There's nothing else that explains that. Otherwise, why is he teaching that? Why is he teaching that you could be a bastard and you could enter the congregation of Yahweh? if he's not trying to cover for his bastard grandkids. So I don't want to hear from these people. I'm just going to abuse your dumb asses and hang up on you if you call in on this program. If you don't stand for the right side of the race issue, I don't want to hear from you on my call-in programs. Not at all. If you're a Jew troll, I don't want to hear from you. Not at all. But I'd welcome phone calls and, and, and even beckon them. And... um We'll see what happens. Robert, I'm sorry. You're driving a truck. I know you're a trucker, and the noise is way too much for us to bear. There's way too much background noise. Maybe you could call back later on. Until we get a phone call, I, I got some. Um, I got some questions that that, that uh, a gentleman named Bob, and that's all I'm going to identify him as. He emails me from time to time. I don't think I ever spoke to him. And, and um, he asks questions often, and some of them are good. And he sent me a few questions today, and we'll go there. The first question he has is, were the Spartans from Greece from the tribe of Judah? And I would answer that, I don't think the Spartans, who were Dorian Greeks, were from Judah. And I'll give several, um, several reasons for that. I'll give two reasons for that. The first reason is that by all historical accounts, the Dorians came from Dor. And Dor was a city that belonged first, at first to the Philistines, but later take, was taken over by the Israelites. And archaeological records show that there was a large... Israelite presence indoor, many bullae have been found, which were seals, which belonged to um, Israelite priests and, and other Israelites. So, so there's no doubt there was a large Israelite presence indoor. Dor was on the coast of the land of Manasseh. And for that reason, I like to believe that the Spartans or, or the Dorian Greeks were probably at least in, in great number from, from Manasseh or possibly from Manasseh and even Ephraim. That seems conjectural, but I can show that they were not of Judah, and, and that's because when Paul was forbidden to go into the cities of Asia, those were Greek cities that were um, 
not entirely, but to a great extent, they were inhabited by Dorian Greeks, the cities of Asia, Ephesus, and, and the other cities of, of eastern, well, what's modern eastern Turkey, but used to be Anatolia. Paul was forbidden to go to those cities until he went to Macedonia and preached in Macedonia. Now, Macedonia was inhabited by a great number, not totally, but a great number of the Illyrians. And the Illyrians, there's no account in Acts that Paul went to see the Illyrians. But in, and, and that's probably because Luke simply was not with Paul on that entire journey. But in Romans chapter 15, Paul describes that he did go to see the Illyrians and preach there. And he went to Macedonia, where a great number of Illyrians resided and preached there. And Macedonia was inhabited, it was colonized, its cities were colonized by Romans by this time, but being inhabited by Romans and Illyrians, both of those people came from the Trojans. Both of those people descended from the Trojans, and both of those were very likely to a great extent of the tribe of Judah, and Paul had to go there first before he was allowed to preach in Asia where the Dorian Greeks dwell. The the gospel says, I'm sorry, the prophet Zechariah says that the tents of Judah would be saved first. It's by um, my opinion, of course, this isn't found explicitly in Scripture. It's my opinion that that's why the Romans and the Macedonians received the gospel before the Greeks. So that, that Paul was trying to fulfill that prophecy that the tents of Judah would be saved first. So that's my belief why the, um, the Dorians were not of Judah. Geography and the circumstances surrounding the fulfillment of prophecy. He asks, the second question is, were the Phoenicians and Carthage inhabitants from the tribe of Dan? And I would say that, that there may well have been some of the tribe of Dan in Tyre and the cities of Phoenicia who eventually took off with the Phoenicians and settled in Carthage. That's a very strong possibility. There was a, um, a man, Hiram the Artificer. And Hiram the Artificer was... Um, taken by Solomon to, to build a lot of the um, things, that the metal furnishings of the temple of God when it was built. And even though it's obscure, in, it, it's not in Scripture, it's in Josephus that his father was a member of the tribe of Dan, and, and um, he was a resident of ancient Tyre. But Tyre was in the land of Asher, and it's it's pretty um, clear in Scripture, in the book of Judges, in the Song of Deborah, I think it's in Judges chapter 5, it might be chapter 4, but um, in the Song of Deborah, 
is a line about Asher abiding in his breaches. And why did Dan remain in ships? And that shows that the children of Dan, the children of the tribe of Dan, were already a seafaring people by the time of Deborah. Now, the, what one of the peoples called the Sea Peoples by the Egyptians can definitely be um, identified with the tribe of Dan. And the word Sardinia, where the original inscriptions found there were actually Phoenician script, the word Sardinia comes from two Hebrew words, Sar or Shar, and Dana. And Sardinia comes from two Hebrew words that mean remnant of Dan. Now, the word remnant in Hebrew doesn't necessarily mean that that's all that remains of a tribe. What it means is that's all that exists in any given place is a part of Dan or a part of a tribe or a people. So remnant of Dan doesn't necessarily mean that only the Sardinians were left at the tribe of Dan. We certainly know that not to be true. But that inscription is very old. I don't remember the exact dating of it, but it's, it dates before the time of the kings David and Saul. The, um, the Phoenicians, where it says, Asher abode in his breaches, the prophetess Deborah is telling us that the tribe of Asher was occupying the seashore. Because that word for breaches in, in the King James Version of the Bible means inlets. It refers to ports or harbors. It doesn't merely re refer to um, things that are inland. It can't. It means inlets, ports, or harbors. Deborah is telling us that the tribe of Asher is occupying the seashore. The Jews like us to believe that the Canaanites occupied the seashore and that the tribe of Asher never conquered the seashore. But the, book of Deborah, the, the song of Deborah in the book of Judges is a very clear statement that the tribe of Asher certainly did inhabit the seashore of the land which was granted to it by the casting of lots. And all of what the Jews like to mark as Phoenicia was actually the land of Asher. And Deborah tells us that Asher inhabited the seashore in the land of Asher. So those great Phoenicians of, of, of the, the golden age of Phoenicia, and there's a lot of other evidence demonstrating this in, in um, my papers at Christiania, they were primarily of the tribe of Asher, but there's also reason to believe that other northern tribes were among them, especially Zebulun and Naphtali. And, and, and there's other prophecies connecting Zebulun and Naphtali to the haven of the sea, to the seagoing traffic across the Mediterranean, and, and there's papers to that effect posted at Christogenia. So they were primarily the Phoenicians, 
the tribe of Dan were also a seagoing people, and some of them, of course, may have been mixed in amongst the other Hebrew tribes plying the waves. But Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali are the primary tribes of the people known to historians and archaeologists as Phoenicians in early history. Of course, after the deportations of Israel, after all the Israelites, or what was left of them, were taken away, the only thing that really remained after the um, conquest by Nebuchadnezzar of the mainland part of Tyre, which was around the same time that Jerusalem was destroyed, the only people that really remained were the inhabitants of the island of Tyre, where Israelites resided, up until the time of Alexander the Great, and small pockets of scattered peoples who were at least partially Israelite. But Canaanites, after that time, the Canaanites dominated the seashore and, and the, the, the region the Greeks knew as Phoenicia, but not until after the deportations of the children of Israel. So... The Phoenicians were primarily Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. I have a couple of other questions, but there's a few callers from Bob, and, and there's a few callers on the line, so we'll get to our callers. I'm sorry, I don't know. I know Robert Saxon's back on the line. I'm sorry, Robert. I, I missed you. There's other callers, and we'll get to you one at a time. Hello, Butcher. Hey, Bill. How you doing tonight? Wonderful. Thank you. Can you, hear me? Can you hear me okay? Yes, loud and clear. Hey, I was over at the barbershop. Well, first of all, I've been sick the last three weeks. Damn no flu then got me down, me and my wife both. But, um, <clears throat> hey, I was over at the barbershop today, and I run into the classic uh, saying that the Christians use. Uh, we were talking politics, and the barber says, well, you know, as long as we, if we don't support Jews, God's chosen people, we ain't going to ever get this country straightened out. Well, well okay. We, we've been supporting the Jews, God's chosen people, for, for um, 200 years. Well, we the, the English have been supporting the Jews, God's chosen people, for 400 years. And the more we bless the Jews, the more of our boys die in foreign wars, and the more our cities are infiltrated by aliens, and, and the more of our own people are killed at home by aliens, and... and, and Look at the things we've lost. Look at what England's lost. No nation has supported the Jews more than England. England was the primary um, catalyst for World War I, supposedly in defense of the Jews, for World War II, supposedly in defense of the Jews. And, and England lost its empire as a result of those wars. And, and the people of England were driven to poverty as a result of those wars, that the more we bless the Jews, the more we are cursed. America. Yeah, and the point, the point I was trying to make, Bill, was uh, that this is what you run into because this is what's been taught for the last 40 to 50 years in, Christian, in the Christian churches in America. 
Uh, they call themselves Christians, but they don't understand the, uh, the the meaning behind these words, Jews and Gentiles and stuff like that. They just don't don't understand these words. Absolutely, but unless they understand some basic history concepts in history, they're never going to understand those words. It doesn't matter. If they're not willing to examine history honestly and see what's happened every time we bless the Jews, they're not going to understand that the Jews are really Satan themselves. They'll never understand that. They need some sort of epiphany, and that epiphany, that awakening, that switch can only be hit by God. Only God determines which ones of us are awakened and which ones of us continue to sleep. And, and the awakening, when that switch is hit, that's only the beginning of the process. Well, that's true. That's not the true. end. That's just the beginning. That allows one to, to begin down the path of inquiry, which leads to biblical truth. I, I said under a great what I call a great man of God as far as the spiritual side of the uh, scriptures are concerned, back in the 1990s, uh, I'm not going to mention his name, there's no use even doing that, but he said basically that unless God opens the scriptures to you, you'll never understand it. You just never, you, you just that's like true. a fish in that's, water. That, that's absolutely true, and, and we see that the scriptures themselves fully indicate that. It, it's in, in my experience, the switch that needs to be hit in order to begin one down the path of, of um, finding the truth it is the switch of racial awareness. It, it's everybody, every white man I spoke to that was racially aware, I could resonate with, and and and. I could um, bring Christian identity truth to. And, and um, men that were not racially aware simply would never get it. No matter how much scripture and history I could exposit to them, they just refused to hear it. Yeah, well, and let me say just a couple more things, and I'm going to get off of here. Uh, this This man I was telling you about, he had an expose on some of the scriptures showing how that when Adam and Eve fell from their position in the garden. Now listen to this real quick. He said that the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15 was uncontaminated. And that it was through the seed of the woman we get the virgin birth which where Christ came in. He said that's the only thing that was left from the original fall that was uncontaminated. Of course, he went on to a bigger discourse. Hey, the other thing I wanted to say too, Bill, what, now I follow the Sabbath, and I take the Willie Martin side of it, and I don't know if you're going to agree with this or not. I follow the Sabbath noon to noon, and you may not agree with that, but uh, I've been doing that for about a year now. I don't want to hurt your feelings or, or alienate you, but I believe that the noon to noon Sabbath is rather absurd. I, I haven't studied that much on it, but uh, like I say, Willie was the one that turned me on to that, and it made some sense to me. That's the reason I do it. I understand that sometimes men that we have a great amount of respect for, a lot of men have a great amount of respect for Willie Martin. I really didn't know Willie, and I won't even comment on him, 
but people that I do respect had respect for Willie Martin. So I'm not going to knock the guy, right? But a lot of times we have a great amount of respect for for our um, our teachers, and sometimes we cling to their errors a little too far. And, and Clifton wrote a multi-part series on the noon to noon Sabbath, and it's on emmaheiser.christagenia.org. And I'm going to um, try to put a link to that into the chat room. It, it's wow. I'll find it. I'll find it on Clifton's website during the course of this program, and, and I'll put the link okay. to chat. And um, I would really look at Clifton's Noon to Noon Sabbath series. I think it's like four or five papers. It may be six. Noon to Noon Madness, and, and it's indexed on his website under Calendar Issues. On, on the left-hand side, under Biblical and Historical Papers, there's, there's a heading called Calendar Issues. I'm putting the link in the chat now, and, and I would really ask you to read that. And, and um, even It's seven parts here, and even if you don't like some of Clifton's, um, you know, vitriol, I, I would, his facts are, are straight, and, and I would really encourage you to take a look at those. I will. When I get a chance, I'll get over and take a look at it. I, I, I read a lot of your stuff over on uh, uh Genia. Also, uh, the reason I said that about the noon Sabbath is, I see, I can't understand why people would say that with the Jew Sabbath, and it starts on the sixth day on a Friday. Yeah, I just can't. I can't buy that. So that, that's another reason. Uh, and then how the Bible was written around that in the crucifixion—it just made more sense to me uh, looking at it from noon to noon. Oh, and by the way, Willie did have a good point on that article about the noon to noon Sabbath, saying that when the United States government established the weekend laws, you know, uh, like down here in North Carolina, they used to be called blue laws. Uh, we got off work. The post office like closed at twelve o'clock on Saturday, and then it was closed all the way to Monday morning, which was, uh, and you know, we're just part of our history the way we used to do things. Hey, I'm going to get off here. I do preach talk. I didn't know you was going to be have a call in tonight, so I decided I'd just jump in there and try to help you out a little bit. Well, thank you, Butcher, and, and um, I'll, I'll I'll try to address the noon to noon day in in um, at another time, but. The, the Hebrew day, the, the English calendar that, that starts, the day, the day starts at midnight in the middle of the night, and, and that's all, actually only a couple of hours later than the beginning of the day in, in the um, ancient Hebrew calendar, which was after dusk or, or at the end of the dusk period. And, and that could be 7 p.m. at some or or 6 p.m. in in the dead of winter in the northern latitudes, and maybe earlier some days, but it could be um, 10 or 11 p.m. at other times of the year. So so the the noon, the the, um, the Hebrew calendar. There's a lot of language there that clearly demonstrates that it began after the sun went down. Not is there any, is there anything in the uh, started to go down uh, on the horizon, which it, which is it just afternoon? I I understand the reasoning for it. 
but I believe it to be wrong. Is there anything in the Septuagint that explains it? Well, well, you know, but when you read the language in the Septuagint in, in the Greek and, and the midday period and, and the, um, the dawn period, the midday period, the, the setting of the sun and, and dusk, what we call dusk, there's clear language in Greek that shows that the noon-to-noon noon Sabbath is absolutely inaccurate. There's no doubt. Well, when would you? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. As far as yourself, as far as your, as far as yourself, when would you observe the Sabbath? What at what period and what time would you observe it? Well, well, first let no man judge you concerning Sabbath days or, or feast days or new moons. Paul of Tarsus, Colossians chapter two. If, I, if I'm at your house, if I'm at your house, you're my Christian brother, and I'm at your house, even if I think that you're a nut for celebrating a noon-to-noon noon Sabbath, I'm not going to vex you. I'm going to celebrate the Sabbath when you do, because I'm in your house, and you're my Christian brother, and, and there's things that are more important than when we celebrate the Sabbath. It's that clear. If you want to do it on Sunday, Tuesday, I don't care. If you want to ask me when I believe the correct Sabbath was, I could answer that question. The correct Sabbath began the evening of the spring equinox, the first Sabbath of the calendar year, and commenced every seven days from there. Because the first day of the year was a Sabbath day, and that was the beginning of the counting of the seven-day cycle. So it started over every year. And it has no relationship to any particular day on the English calendar because, or the Roman calendar because the spring equinox can be on Monday this year, on Tuesday next year, on Thursday three years from now. It changes every year. Read the account in Exodus the Sabbath, day, the Sabbath cycle starts on the spring equinox, the vernal equinox. I know it's, uh, it's fooled a lot of people and has a lot of people have hang-ups over it. And most Christians that I know personally, which I don't know as many as I used to know because I basically kind of run from them, uh, but they don't even have anything to do with the Sabbath, don't know anything about it, uh, don't observe it, uh, go to church on Sunday, and that's basically their, uh, what they call the Sabbath. Well, well, you know, we're not supposed to judge our brother based on a Sabbath or even whether or not he celebrates one. Now, now of course, men should keep a Sabbath because that's the, the model of, of um, work and rest that was instituted by God. We should keep the Sabbath. It is the second commandment. I believe the second. It might be third. I might be wrong. But, but um, keep holy the Sabbath day. The, um, the ancient Christians simply wanted to distinguish themselves from the Jews by keeping a Sunday Sabbath. And, and they made up reasons for it. The reasons don't hold up in Scripture. But 
if you want to keep a Sunday Sabbath and I'm at your house and you're my Christian brother, I'm going to set aside my personal feelings about a calendar because we're told in Scripture to let no man judge you or condemn you based on your keeping of the Sabbath days and the feast days. Some men, as Paul says in Romans chapter 10, celebrate a particular day, and some men celebrate every day. We should celebrate every day. And and if you want to keep a Sunday Sabbath, I'm not going to condemn you. And if if I come back next year and you want to keep a Saturday Sabbath because you change your mind, I'm not going to argue with you. It's not worth contending over. That's my point. There's a scripture over in the Old Covenant that says something, and I don't know exactly where it is right now, but it, I'll just kind of quote it off the top of my head. It says, those that keep the, the Sabbath or honor the Sabbath to ride upon the high places of the earth. I think yeah. it's in the Psalms. Yes, there's a place in, in, in Isaiah 56 that... um. That, that says that if you keep the Sabbath, you'll be given a place even better than the place of sons and daughters, as long as you're a son or a daughter in the first place. But, but um, and, and all that's true. If we seek to please God, we're going to do our best to keep the Sabbath. But we don't have the ability to follow the ancient Hebrew calendar. That ability has been taken away from us. Most of us have to work to pay our rent or we're put out in the street. So, so, and, and we're not feeding our kids. And if we're not feeding our kids and taking care of our wives, what's more important, to keep Saturday or Sunday Sabbath or to feed your wife and children? He who does not take care of his own shall be appointed a position even below that of the unbelievers. So we're caught up in Babylon. As long as we're caught up in this Babylonian system that's been imposed on us for the sins of our ancestors who could not keep a Sabbath, then we're not going to be able to keep the Sabbath perfectly. That's just the way it is. But if we seek to please God and keep his Sabbaths, yes, the scripture says that we'll be blessed for that. Well, again, thank you for your time, and I won't hold up your uh, form here. Okay. Good talk. Good talk to you. The whole point is that we should seek to please God and and seek to do His will. And, and um, Sabbath keeping, you know, Christ spent the Sabbath trying to help His brother at every turn. So we shouldn't be condemning our brother because we disagree when they celebrate the Sabbath. We should be loving our brother and trying to help our brethren at every turn. And and that's the Sabbath that he wants us to keep. And that's in Scripture, too. I just don't have it off the top of my head. Thank you, Butcher. Robert Saxon. Yeah, how is that? Is too much noise? No, it's a lot better, I hope. It's a lot better. How you doing? Great, great. Thank you, Uh, I'm thankful for your gift of discernment, and I'll support you. I want you to keep it up. God win your friends. Thank you, Robert. It certainly doesn't win friends. I'll say that. I don't have time to weed out, you know, what a lot of people are doing, 
where they come from. So we need to do it, though. Well, well, yes, we have to um, well, we have to expound on the truth and and stand by it. We we can't violate those basic precepts of our faith, or we're no better than the Judeo Christians. Um, I was going to tell you, my wife's headed to Tennessee tomorrow, Pigeon Forge. Wow, we were just in Pigeon Forge. If you ever get by Bristol, Robert, just just, just try to get in touch with me on TeamSpeak, and, and we'll have coffee. Yeah, we, we'll just have to have a convention or something up there in Tennessee. Oh, I don't know if a convention in Christian identity has been successful <laughs> in a long time. Uh, a conference. Right. <laughs> Okay, we'll have to have something one day. We'll yeah. have to ship sooner or later. Yeah, I'm driving the truck, so there's a lot of background noise. And I have to work Friday night now. Uh, usually go to a bluegrass place on Friday. Bluegrass is, um, that's wholesome music for the most part. Yeah, still. that's where I met my wife. Uh, a few anybody forms. that's single out there, there's some really good bluegrass events to go to that are full of single people that are good Christian people. They may, may, may not be like we are, but it's one of the best venues I've seen for what America was, what we wanted to stay as, is uh, bluegrass. Well, well, that's progress gospel. If if you like wholesome music, you'll find wholesome people listening to it. There's no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, we like bluegrass. Yeah. Okay, Robert. Thank you for the call, and, and we All appreciate right. well, encouragement. Yahweh bless. All right. Thank you. We're gonna try guest twenty-one. Guest 21. Yeah, Bill, I'd like to ask a few questions about uh, Germany and, and how all the, <clears throat> all the um, Christian identity pastors all seem to come from a German background as if they have a royal blood. You know, somehow this is relating to a, a, a geological location becoming a royal blood. And you often say the Germans were the Galatahi, uh, which is actually a, a Gaul. Uh, and maybe or not, maybe you don't agree with that or not, but uh, that's it's, the it's truth. Backwards. It's backwards to say Galatahi is a Gaul. It's backwards? It's backwards. It's backwards. Well, maybe you ought to expand on that. But well, you know, well, let, let, me, let me just go into this first, that, you know, Pastor Eli said German. Pastor Fisher or Visser, whatever his name is, German. Um, Pastor Dan often says he's Welsh and German, so he has a mixture of the royal blood and I guess I don't well, know, maybe another royal blood or something. I know but, that you know, as late as the 1950s, over 50 percent of the people of the white people in the United States had German blood. Did you know that? Yeah, so, I mean, that's a geological location, Bill. I mean, how can you possibly 
You mean a geographical location, right? Uh, a geographical location. How can you possibly use a bloodline for a geographic? I mean, that, that's what the Jews do. Whoa, the whoa, Jews whoa. actually whoa. do the opposite of that. Slow down, damn it. I don't well, make confusion, right? I don't make that confusion, right? No, I get program about that confusion. Did you listen to it? No, I, I didn't because I don't. there's no way of... You can't confuse a bloodline. You can say, oh, well, this is where the tribe of Judah went. Oh, and they called themselves the Galatahi. Well, you know what? The Galatahi oh, were the oh, Galatians, oh, oh, and, and they were the Gauls. So they Slow weren't the Judah, uh, weren't Judah. I don't make those contentions. That's not me. All right, well, I, I want to know how Judah is Germany, because, you know what, this is a major, you know, this is a major division factor. First, no, no, slow down, slow down. First, I I have said that Germany seems to be in fulfillment of some of the prophecies concerning Judah. I've said that, but slow down. Don't jump on me yet. I've also said that no one European nation represents one Israelite tribe, and I've also said that no Israelite tribe is represented by only one European nation, because it's very clear historically that all 12 tribes are probably scattered throughout several or more European nations. No, but we have this uh, Galatahi uh, authentic word. In other words, they are the authentic. No, the Galatahi they're, they're more authentic. What? Galatahi does not mean authentic. Okay, well, where did the authentic come from? Uh, go ahead. Word Germanus. Okay, so that means that they were more authentic. What? The the geographer Strabo, who wrote up until about his death in 25 A.D., he wrote that he believed that the Romans called the Galatahi of Germany. Germanus Wait a minute. Because the Romans, the, the Romans who were, they were the Gallic. They they came from the Gallic people, the, the Gallo or Gallic. Slow down, slow yeah. down. Strabo, I have it quoted, book, book, book line and and paragraph in my papers at Christogenia, in my German origins papers. Strabo said this. I didn't say it. He said that the Romans called the, the Galatahi, because Strabo's writing in Greek, right? He's not writing in Latin, so he didn't use the word Gaul, okay? So don't attribute the word Gaul to Strabo. Strabo's writing in Greek. He used, well, I don't care what he wrote. I mean, they're, they're, one is the, they're the same people, unless you can distinguish that one is the tribe of Judah and one is some uh, subordinate uh, you know, race, uh, uh, the Romans or... The Irish, or you know, which you know, I often hear you, I often hear you talk about the Irish that uh, like they are some kind of a subordinate people, you know. Have to the Gauls, Scottish Gauls. We have to make a distinguishment that the Romans did not make in Gaul. We the Romans did not distinguish between the tribes of Gaul who were original Phoenician settlers of Gaul and the tribes who were the Galatahi. 
The Romans didn't distinguish that. They just called the whole land area Gaul. Okay. Well, I mean, but there, what, what does it matter what the land area means? The, the land area, you know, you're a New Yorker, and I, I'm a Floridian, okay? I mean, what, what does that mean? Slow down. There's two ways to look at this. We can look at it as the tribes of the Galatahi and trace where they went, and that's fine. But the Romans used the geographical distinguishment of Gaul, okay? And the Romans called everybody in that land Gauls. You okay, don't me apply the word Gauls to Germans. So you're saying that Gallic Romans and, you know, like the Port, Portugal and all these play, Galatians. <laughs> well, we, that, well, we, yeah, I, I mean, get, how would they call them a different people if they're calling them the same people? Maybe that's why they called them authentic Gauls, because they were the same people. You know? That, well, well the, German, the German tribes of Galatahi were the same people as many of the Germanic tribes that crossed the Rhine into what the Romans called Gaul. Yes, they're the same people. But you should go read my German origins papers. That's okay, what so I, you know, I want to know why the division of this German, you know, this geo, geographical German so jargon. I've said... If you want to argue with me over these labels, you should first go read what I said. No, we should first we should first classify we should first classify people, white people as white people and not geographical locations. That's what we should do. Because oh. when we start classifying each other as geographical locations, we're you know, we're we're talking Jew that's Jew mumbo jumbo. That's what the Jews do in reverse. You know? Don't do that. We've already been here. I don't do that. But if I quote a Roman writer that did that, then I have to quote the Roman writer the way he wrote. You got that? So well, stop. yeah, I got that. But that's, yeah. You got that? So yeah, but you know what? The Roman writer is just giving credit. He, or you the are, Roman writer is just giving credit to that person of the same, of the same race. He's not you know, uh, telling somebody of a different ge geographical location that they're any better or more authentic than themselves. They are just saying that they are authentic. You're really being silly now, right? No, no, no. It's not silly. It's something that really no, needs to be delved into. I can't change Strabo's words. You got that? Well, you know, Strabo can be duped too, you know. Strabo's words. Strabo can be duped, too, into geographical and biological, you know. It, it, we don't need to speak on geographical. We need to speak slow in biological. Down, slow down. I've already tried to tell you that there were other tribes in Gaul that were not original Galatahi, right? And the Galatahi crossing into Gaul... Of course, the Celts were there before the Galatahi. Was, the Romans were there. that the Galatahi in Germany were more authentic than the Galatahi in Gaul. And you well, just... How about, the Gal, how, about, how about the Gaul in Scotland? Were they, were they less uh, authentic? They're still stuck when, on you know, stupid, right? Because no. the Gaul in Scotland, they're not part of this equation of the way that the Romans named the Gauls in France and named oh, the Gauls 
Germany. And the you know, Gauls, I don't care what you know. I don't care what the Romans. Gauls, you know, the Romans said what you know. The Romans destroyed uh, most of the writings of the Phoenicians. So you know, the people. I've never seen the word Gaul applied in Scotland by the Romans. I could be wrong, but I, well, in my reading, I haven't seen it. Right. So well, that's right. You have So, in other words, we can't. Argument. It doesn't change. Well, in other words, yeah, you, the Romans didn't write about Only the Scots. The Scots. They didn't they write about them. But that doesn't mean that they're any different. They were chicks, you idiot. They were Caledonians. I haven't seen the word Gauls applied by Caledonian Romans. Caledonian is a geographical location, man. I'm telling you, understand? you the Romans called them. That's what I'm talking about. Caledonia is a name of a location. Go back and you tell Tacitus he was wrong. Okay? I don't care what Tacitus said. He didn't know what a Jew was either. Tacitus didn't know what a goddamn Jew was. So what the hell, what does it matter? Tacitus only understood that it was a Roman political district called Judea, and he called all those people Judeans. But that doesn't reflect on He didn't know what an Edomite was. Don't take Tacitus's understanding, and just because I write what Tacitus said, don't attribute his understanding to me, because it ain't my fault, and I uh, don't make the same mistake. Well, you know what? You can cherry pick. You can cherry pick Tacitus and Herodotus and all these guys, and then you know mix it up into a nice little bag of geographical locations and make whatever distinction you want. But this is not about geogra- geography; it's about biology. And that's all I have to say. Thank okay. you. You're still stupid. Yeah. Well, you know what? I think I made my point. And I think your listeners know I made my point. Geography has nothing to do with it. Germany is a landmass. Just like this Q state is a landmass. I did a program on that. Yeah, okay, well, let's get out of this German bullshit, okay? And let's start being human beings, and, and let's fight this enemy as, no, as it's supposed to be. Stop criticizing me for things that I wrote and not things that you think that I wrote. Look, I'm not just criticizing you. I'm criticizing every, I'm criticizing all of these by James, you got that? He's an idiot. He doesn't well, even know the difference between a white man and a half nigger. I'm criticizing all of you, man, so I'm not pinpointing okay. you. Out of here. You're out of here. You're a jerk. You're still a jerk. You're always a jerk. You're a jerk in your emails to me. You've been emailing me for three years. You've been stupid. If you want to criticize me, I can take it, and I can talk about it honestly, and we can have a nice discussion. But criticize me on my words. Criticize me on what I wrote or what I said, don't criticize me on this Dan Johns clown or this screwy Dewey Tucker or Eli James. I don't give a damn about those turkeys. Wow. They call me Kaiser. Hello. How you doing? Yeah, sorry sorry for that previous call. I hope you're not too upset. Wow, I don't believe this guy's criticizing me for something Eli James said. He's an idiot. I don't care well, about... You know, I, I don't see his... He has no logic. He's not 
talking to you on the point that you're talking about or is deliberately trying to misunderstand you that, you know, you have to clarify migrations, names of people, and their locations. I what? mean, this, this, is just, uh, this is just historical uh, facts. I mean, why is he arguing with you about that? It's nonsense. Well, Tacitus and Strabo, I have to quote them for what they wrote. I can't quote them for what I think they mean or what I think they should have said. That's crazy. Exactly. I think he just wants to create an argument. Absolutely. Well, Bill, you know, I don't have a, a you know a great amount uh, anything in depth I want to ask you, but you know, I've seen this um, bandied about recently with these new um, so-called pastors or teachers coming out here using the name, uh, perverting the name of Yahweh into Yah, Yahuwah and Yahushua. And I'm like, what is, where did all that come from? Well, well, I'll tell you what. When a man wants to start a cult, he invents his own language peculiar to the cult. And, and this um, screwy, screwy, dewy Tucker, which is, he, he insists on spelling Yahweh with an, two A's instead of an A and an E, right? He insists on doing that because the Jews spell it with an A and an E. So I would say to Dewey Tucker, and I have, but he couldn't really answer me because he's not an honest man, why don't you change the spelling of every other word that you use because the Jews spell them the way you do? That makes sense. So well, we have to have a common language that we communicate in, and identity, Christian identity adherents have been writing Yahweh, Y-A-H-W-E-H, which is basically the way it's pronounced for a long time. And if you want to change it, then you're seeking to start a sect or a cult of your own. And that way you could identify your followers by the way they spell the word and, and right. identify them as members of your cult. That's what Dewey Tucker's doing. His followers, and, and believe me, I don't want followers. If anybody comes on here saying that they're my follower, uh, I'm going to throw them off because I don't want followers. I want fellow workers. But, but Dewey's followers all spell Yahweh funny, and, and that way Dewey can identify his cult members. And, and we can too, so we can use that against them. Well, that's, that's fine. Um, however, I mean, it's, I, I've seen it a little bit too often, and I really, you know, it's like, is there a way historically or phonetically that you can challenge these people and tell them, look, you're just flat out wrong? Well, well, yeah, you know, it, it, we, we can't prove that any Hebrew word was pronounced one way or another. I can tell you this, that Yahweh agrees with the Roman Jove, I-O-U-E, and that's why I lean towards that as the correct the, the correct rendering of the four vowels that Flavius Josephus told us that the holy name was spelled with in Greek. 
Josephus says, and he was a Levitical priest, so he should know, he said the name was spelled with four vowels in Greek. He was writing in Greek. And those four vowels could only be the I, the O, the U, and the E. But the E may have been an Ada. We don't know. What the E that Joseph, Josephus had in mind. Now, in ancient writing, there's several variations of the name. And some of them support Josephus, and some of them don't. Some of them try to make the V a B, but we also know from many other transliterations of words that the, the V sound and the B sound were very often confused. Now, in, in Latin, it's not a V, it's a U. And that's because Latin doesn't have a V, and, and neither does Greek. They don't have that letter. But the Hebrew V could also be a, a, a Wa, or what we would call a U. So it, it's um, actually a W, but a U. So, so I believe Josephus is correct when he says that, that the Tetragrammaton, the holy name, can be spelled with four vowels in Greek, and that those four vowels are probably I-O-U-E. We can't prove that it was I-O-U-E with any um, absolute definitiveness, but that's how the Romans, who were actually Israelites of the dispersion, spelled the name of their high god, Jove, and since the Romans had the truth of God and turned it into a lie, by creating idols in, in after the images of, of um, earthly things and animals. Well, well, I'll believe that the Romans got that part lot correct and, and that Yahweh is Jove. So I'll spell it I-O-U-E, and, and we would probably pronounce that Yahweh or Yahweh. So right. it was Yahweh. Right, and there is no historical basis for them uh, using any other pronunciation. Well, well, no, there isn't. Not really. I mean, you you might want to come up with something closer closer to Yahweh, which is the way Jove might have been pronounced in Latin. They didn't have silent vowels. Jove is a... Um, it is a, a Victorian English rendering of the word. So, so it, it's I-O-U-E on, until um, somebody has better evidence. That I'm, I'm going to consider that Josephus's four vowels were I-O-U-E and pronounce it Yahweh. Because mm. there is no. historical basis for that. Right, exactly. It's not historical basis for... Jehovah or Yahushua or Yahuwah or, or anything crazy like that. Right. Well, I can see a Pastor Lindstedt is a so-called Pastor Lindstedt. He, he's all over your chat room tonight. Yeah, he's all over the <laughs> chat room tonight. And, and some of them are probably um, Jeremy, Geronimo Visser and, and they're clowns. They're, they're proving that they're Jews by trolling my chat room. It's that simple. Right. Well, let me just say to them uh, that no one, uh, we, we here don't do that to them. 
because they really have no substance to anything, uh, whatever they would say, you know. Right. Well, they've proven who they are. All right, Bill. That's all. That's the only question I have for tonight. Uh, I hope you have a good rest of the show, and um, and you're way blessed. Okay, John. Thank you for calling, and, and um, praise Yahweh. Yeah, same. Fist of Yahweh has a question in the chat room. Joseph married a daughter of a foreign god with marrying an Egyptian woman who was the daughter of a priest of On. How does that work? And, and let me say this, Fist of Yahweh. Um, Moses married the daughter of a priest of Midian. And she was accepted, and, and so was Jethro, her father. He was a Midianite. The Midianites were children of Abraham through his wife, Keturah, but it was still a, quote-unquote, foreign god. There were priesthoods in early times amongst all of the white nations, and Josephus' wife, there's a lot of evidence that she was actually a Shemite, because the Shemites had come into Egypt at that time, and that her father was a, a Shemitic priest of On, and, and that's been postulated by many Christian identity writers before me. I cannot disagree with it. But whether he was an Egyptian or whether he was a Shemite is really immaterial on a racial level, because they were all white descendants of Noah. Now, I lean towards him being a Shemite, and, and there's, there's scriptural reasons for that, which were um, elucidated by Clifton Emmerheiser. If, if you search for the term priest of on on Clifton's website, you'll find it. Or perhaps if you want to send me an email, I'll search for you. Uh, I just can't take the time to find that now. The... Um, the wife of Joseph was not an Israelite because of the wives of none of the patriarchs were Israelites. They were Israel. There were 12 sons. There was one daughter. They couldn't all marry one daughter, right? They all married people from the other Adamic Genesis 10 nations. And the priest of On was certainly of one of those Adamic Genesis 10 nations nations. Now, that she was a pagan priest, first, e even um, in, in the law, which came later in Levit Leviticus, that there are facilities, facilities allowing other Adamic people to turn from paganism and join themselves to the children of Israel. So Josephus' marriage to the priest of On doesn't really violate, to the daughter of the priest of On, doesn't really violate the word of Yahweh, being that she would have had to have been an Adamic woman. And all of the other Adamic nations were pagans. They were all pagans. And if you read the scripture, even the father and brothers of Abraham were gone off into paganism. In the book of Joshua, referencing the fathers of Abraham, Joshua says that his fathers had worshipped strange gods. So the entire, when Abraham was called, the entire Adamic race 
was caught up in paganism. So I hope that answers your question, Fist of Yahweh. Esau was cursed. Judah does not get a pass. Judah was um, actually chastised in Malachi for marrying the daughter of a strange god. The difference between Esau and Judah was that Yahweh had no mercy on Esau, and Yahweh had mercy on Judah, and Judah had legitimate offspring so that the line of Judah could continue, and that was through Tamar. Esau tried to repent, and he went out, and, and he got a, um, an Ishmaelite wife, but she was also not eligible for the covenant. So Esau found no repentance. The difference is that Yahweh had mercy on Judah. Yahweh did not have mercy on Judah for Judah's sake. Yahweh had mercy on Judah for the sake of the promises to Abraham and Jacob. Race mixers can repent, but if you want to be a repentant race mixer, you have to break your associations with your race mix with your strange wife and your strange children. That's the biblical model in Ezra and Nehemiah. In Ezra chapter ten, the men of Israel who race mixed were commanded to put away their strange wives and those who were born of them. So that's the difference between Esau and Judah. Judah received mercy from Yahweh, not for his own sake, but for the sake of the promises to the fathers. That's the, the, the mercy that Yahweh has promised to all of Israel. I hope that answers your question. It's 20. New York, you're next. We're going to talk to guest 20 here. Hello. Hi, oh, hello, Rabbi Finkelstein. You do know Brian Riddle is sword brethren, don't you? Just shut this idiot up, Melissa. Guest 20 is a troll. Guest 20 is Martin Lindstedt proving once again that he is a filthy Jew bastard. He just can't keep himself from trolling. Northeast New York. Can you hear me? Hello. Can you, can you hear me, Bill? Yes. Yeah, this is David Burton. How are you? Hello, David. Great to talk to I'm, you. I'm, I'm really amazed at how uh, little time it takes me to detect a troll now or to detect a clown. It's amazing. You <laughs> really, have a lot of, really have a lot of patience. I really have, have to hand it to you. Well, well I mean, that this filthy Jew bastard's been trolling me for years. It, it, it's amazing. It, it's Why amazing. are they in this business? He, he I don't get it. That he is of the, the adversary. Even uh, if yes, right, yeah, that's it. Even if I'm no good, even if I am spurious, let's assume that I'm a false teacher. I'm spurious. I'm no good. If this man is a Christian, he should move on and go do oh, no doubt to build the kingdom of God and to edify his people. But no because he is here trolling me, even if I'm spurious, he proves that he's a filthy Jew bastard. Because Christians don't troll. 
Christians don't troll other people's forums and make trouble for people. They don't do even it. think about it. No. No. At all. That's about all I had to say, Bill, for tonight. Keep doing it, and uh, I'll talk to you later. Well, thank you, David, and, and praise Yahweh. Yahweh bless. Right. Yep. Bye-bye. New York. Let's hear from New York. Two from New York in a row. It's not Jew York after all. Hey, Hello. Bill. Hey, Bill. It's Alan. How you doing? Oh, Alan, great to hear from you. Yeah, you have a million stories. You can tell some of them if you want. People are loving um, well, actually, I, 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 what I wanted—well, what I, what I wanted to ask you about was, um, if my memory is correct, I seem to recall you um, saying um, at some point that you had met Lorraine Swift. Is, is that, or, or you were in communication? Oh, didn't meet. I'm sorry. We, we, we corresponded probably for six years, maybe five, while while I was in prison. Okay, well, what I was curious about was, um, you know, there's not a lot of information about Dr. Swift online. There are certainly a a lot of recordings of his sermons and printed sermons, but I was wondering if you could share with us, um, you know, anything about Dr. Swift that you might have gleaned from those conversations with with his wife. Well, well, you know, there were some things, but... Yeah, you know, her letters, I haven't read them in 10 years, right? And I will, and I have always planned to eventually get them scanned and publish them online. That would be great. I, I do that when I get the chance. That is, um, the, the problem with, with um, Dr. Swift, and even Lorraine, what was a woman of great faith, and, and she supported her husband's ministry for 30 years after he died. Right. Probably 35 years. Well, well she had a lot of faith in the, the man who was officially the heir to Wesley Swift's ministry and had received all of the papers that she could could get her hands on in all of the books, even though some of Wesley Swift's books supposedly um, disappeared or were stolen after his death, that the um, the, the man who, who received all of his papers and who can put things online about him is Mike Hallamore of Kingdom Identity Ministries. And I'm personally, and I don't mind saying it, I'm really disappointed with Mike Hallamore because I even heard him on a program maybe four or five years ago with Eli James bragging about the papers that he had from Swift and Comparet, but he never puts them online. He's never lifted one finger, so far as I know, to publish this stuff online. And that these things, even though, even though a lot of it might... Um, might be trite or even might seem to worship the person rather than the work. A lot of people would be interested in these things, and they should be put online rather than sitting in Mike Hallamore's closet or wherever he might have well, so, Right, yeah. That's, I, I, I agree. I, I, don't, I, I mean, we don't have to um, – like I've said many times on the forum, you know um, – 
our, our enemies within Christian identity seem to exploit the, the um, reputation of these men like Swift and Compare. They made mistakes. You know, dominion theory is a mistake. And our enemies, our enemies seem to like to take the mistakes of those two men in particular and say, well, this has to be true. This has to be right. They said it. You know, I mean, I think what we, you know, what you do and what we do on the forum, the way that we discuss these men, you know, we, we, um, I don't know, we, we don't put them on pedestals. We, we dissect what they said and, and take the good from it and, and point out the bad, you know, which is fine, you know. Well, well right. And, and we should, well, we should all seek that. I don't want anybody to um, put me on a pedestal. I want people to examine my work critically and right. identify mistakes. If, if I've, and I'm sure there are some there, don't get me wrong, but if I've made mistakes, I would love for people to say, hey, Bill, you, you know, you should take another look at this. I really don't think it's that way. I think it's this way over here, and I'll show you why, and I'm willing to listen. But Mistakes should be corrected in the in, in spirit of brotherhood. The, the problem with most of these clowns who think that Clifton and I and I have made mistakes is that they want to take the mistakes and, and try to attack us for them right away rather than approaching us and, and having a dialogue about it. And, and if they try to attack us for them, we're naturally going to try to defend ourselves. When you attack somebody, they, they dig themselves in and look to justify their position. But if you dialogue with somebody, you can correct their mistakes. Now, our enemies, the people who would seek to discredit us with the works of Swift and Compare, they're doing that same thing. Rather than dialogue over why something is a mistake, they dig themselves in and end up defending a position that ultimately is indefensible. Yeah, they want the mistakes to be true, uh, you know, because they have, you know, mixed race family, you know. They want, they obviously want the mistakes to be true. Right, they want the mistakes to be true. That they don't want to correct every anything because a lot of those mistakes are indefensible. I mean, I could see why Swift and Compare opted for this six-day, eight-day creation baloney, and, and, and that's because they themselves, in many ways, were um, politically correct so as not to alienate people. But regardless of that, they so well, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's kind of like whenever, whenever Wesley Swift would mention Adolf Hitler or the Third Reich, he, he would often speak about that, uh, clearly and accurately, but he would always follow it because he understood that his audience probably contained, you know, people that went and fought. So he was always very careful to then add afterwards, you know, well, we don't have any, you know, briefs for Nazism, you know. Right. Right. It's um, that they were very politically correct in a lot of ways. And I believe that's because they wanted to bring people to identity truth without alienating them. It, it's um, perhaps unfortunate 
that they were that they were um, polite in some ways, but but still, I, I mean, Compare did get the truth out, even though he did it in a much more subtle manner in in many respects. When I, when I did the three part um, series recently, well, well, just last month on on the non-Adamic races in in biblical eschatology, I did highlight highlight a comparate paper which explicitly says that the beast nations, as he called them, which we would term the other races, the non-Adamic nations, he called them the beast nations, that they were going to the lake of fire with the tares. So he said that in at least that one place, but he never spelled it out the way we spell it out. He still understood the truth. Right, right. Right. Perhaps, you know, it could be conjectured that these men just didn't see how bad things were going to get. Because they really did expect some Armageddon to culminate in a Soviet invasion of the United States back in the 1970s. That's what they expected. That's what they focused on. Right. If I was um, doing what I do now at that time, I, I'm telling you, I probably would have thought the same thing because that's how that language in Ezekiel can mm-hmm. read. I would have thought. Uh, yes, that. I agree. So the, the only reason why I can correct their mistakes is because I have a, a different aspect of history. I think think that, especially with Swift uh, and his preaching, and and more especially in these recordings that I have found the original reel-to-reels to, to, he had a uh, Friday night world events uh, meeting every week. And um, they're very good, I think, you can really get a very good picture along with these Wally Butterworth records that I've been seeking out and putting online. You really get a good picture, a very, very clear picture of what that decade was about. You know, um, a really, you know, because the sixties, early seventies, it's so romanticized, you know, in mainstream culture, the sixties. And one of the things I like about listening to those recordings is uh, particularly the Friday night world events meetings, is uh, it really gives you a very, very clear picture of, of um, really what was going on as opposed to the propaganda, you know, that we're fed about uh, the 60s and the way it's romanticized. You know? Right, and that would be very valuable. You, you have a lot of good, um, there's a lot of valuable recordings that, historicalrecordings.net. They really are. Yeah, I got to, um, I'm having a problem right at the moment uploading on that site. And uh, um, I think we spoke actually in in an email or a private message about doing something uh, different, um, which I'll probably talk to you about in the future. Because that that, that site is, uh, I'm not like a, a computer guy that understands really how, a lot of that stuff works, and, and I don't want to keep bothering, you know, the guy who set it up for me. He's busy with his own thing, so I might just, 
you know, look into, you know, setting up something, you know, along the same lines, but that functions and better. Because uh, the latest Wally Butterworth recordings that I transferred, I for some reason can't upload them. I don't know what's going on. I have them um, uh, listed. I have them uploaded and available uh, at the uh, the file sharing uh, service at Christogenia, so people can get them and listen to them. But um, um, and I also have um, acquired a new reel to reel. Um, I haven't had a chance to um, unbox it and oper- you know just to check it out yet. But um, um, I think you know the person I bought it from is uh, my you know is very reliable from what I've heard. So it should it shouldn't be a problem. And I should be back to uh, transferring those Wesley Swift tapes. I still have oh thirty five um, more tapes that I. I still haven't gotten to yet. Okay. Yeah. Okay, Bill. Wonderful. That would be very valuable. The, the, um, I understand that the Wesley Swift recordings at Israel Elect and um, Christiania, that they're of really poor co- quality. So are the Copper A recordings, but they're the best we had at the time, and, and we had to go with it, right? Well, yeah, I, my understanding is that most of the recordings of Wesley Swift that are online are from cassette copies. They're from yeah. cassettes of cassettes of cassettes, and some yeah. of them are pretty horrific. What I have is the original reel-to-reels that came from Swift's ministry. I mean, for all I know, that could be Swift's handwriting on the boxes. I don't really know. But um, the, the 60 or so tapes that myself and uh, a couple of other fellows uh, from Stormfront um, when these were offered to me, um, we all, it was about four of us, all chipped in and, and bought this, this collection. But these are the original reels that came from, um, uh, what was it, Lancaster, California. These are the, these are the tapes that, that Swift himself sent out. Um, and even those, some of them, ha- have some issues. Um, um, I'm actually going to try, with, I don't know, I think it. As far as I know, some of the recordings that I have on my website, the audio problems, it's inherent in the tape. Um, but I am going to try to redo some of those. Um, I'm going to check them out on this new machine and see if if that helps. I don't know. Uh, from what I've heard from his recordings, um, you know, he was he was sending out a lot of tape, and he was using these high speed duplicators. So even from the get-go, you know, those high-speed duplicators are right. very, you know, those things, you know, those really are not, the quality gets uh, compromised sometimes, especially if you don't keep up the maintenance. So uh, it's, you know, it's possible that some of the, the, the sound quality issues are, are on the original tapes because of the duplication process. Most of them sound pretty good, and the ones that don't have the... Um, kind of wobbly sound, you know, uh, really do sound a lot better than those, you know, generated cassette copies floating around. So, you know, that's, that's why I really want to get back to, to transferring this stuff. Well, well, we'll pray for your success. That would be a wonderful thing. It, it really would. I, I, I hope you're successful at cleaning some of that up and, and giving us better recordings. I, I have that. That's a note. I, I have a mental note to, to say now. Alan, I have other people out there that have told me that they have real, real-to-real tapes of, of Swift and and or Compare, and I wish that they would send them to me 
because I'll make sure they get it into your hands because you've done a lot of excellent work with material of that type and, and getting it online. So that would be great. I really, I'm really, will hear this program. So I really, I really want to, uh, I really want to find the tape of the uh, sermon entitled Christianity and the Ku Klux Klan. The, the transcript board is online and I have, I have the recordings from the week before and I think also the week after, but that that that's a hole in, in the in the sound archive. Is that one particular sermon, which I I, I think is um, really interesting. It's really good. Christianity and the Ku Klux Klan. I think it was from Halloween. Uh, yeah, I think it was October thirty first, sixty five. I'd like to get the audio for that. Okay. Well. Hi, Bill. I hope you make out, Alan. I know that you're diligent and, and, and you're not going to give up, that's for sure. Amen. Thank you, Bill. Take care. Thank you. Praise you. Bye-bye. Sugar Cookie, I don't really know enough about Lithuanian history to to um to, to give an early background. I, I'm sorry I don't. The, the Lithuanians were, were um, both Germanic and Slavic. I am sure that they are. Um, I've known some Lithuanians that were upstanding white men and, and um, fine, fine specimens of our race. And um, I, I just can't trace them back to the, the particular Scythian migrations or any part of it. That, that's, um, you, you know, Eastern European history in the, in the, in the medieval period and, and the early Christian period is very, very poorly recorded and we just can't make a lot of the solid connections that we would like to as to precisely which tribe some of the Germanic tribes came from. So it can't be done. I, I would like to give you more than that. I'm sorry, I can't. The Estonians are mentioned by Tacitus in his Germania, the Estonians are, are a neighboring people to the Lithuanians, but they're not Lithuanian. Mona Montgomery. Let, let's hear from Mona. Yeah, Hello. hi. Hello. Yeah, hi. Nice to... This is a, just a great show you're doing. This is the best call-in show we've ever had. I really love it. And I did have a... I have a, several questions, but I'll just start with one. Uh, you you may know that I'm in close communication with Southworth and also Martin, and I end up talking about you a lot with them and uh, and defending your position against them, and I want to make sure that I understand you. And if I'm wrong, I want you to correct me. Uh, they say, uh, let's, let's start with uh, Southworth. Southworth says that you claim there is no devil, which I know not to be true. That's absolutely and, crazy that I would claim that. Right. And so he told me, well, call him up and ask him. And so that's what I'm doing. And he says that you say, and this I tend to believe you do think, because I do think this anyway, that the, um, the Garden of Eden story is an allegory and is not literally correct. Is that true or not? Is that what you think or is that not what you think? Well, well the Garden of Eden story is clearly allegory that represents a, a, an act of race mixing, an act of fornication. That's totally what I think also. And I think that the, that the, um, the sex between the serpent and Eve is 
an allegory for sex between a white woman and a non-white, which produces the wrong seed, which becomes a threat to our race. Is that what you think? Well, well, yes, that is what I believe. And and that non-white was related to the fallen angels. And those fallen angels collectively are the devil and Satan. I see. They are collectively. So they are the devil. Now, we don't know what happened, and I get asked this sometimes, to the original spirits of the fallen angels. We don't know what happened to them. It's just not material to us to know what happened to them. But we do know, and I have taught from the Enoch literature and from Scripture, that demons in the spiritual realm are the spirits of bastards created by the race mixing of the fallen angels. And that's demons in the spiritual realm, but they're not to be confused with the original devil and Satan. Now, all of the offspring of these fallen angels who are here on earth today, all of them are collectively the devil and Satan. So there is a devil, and there was a devil, but Satan is not in heaven now. And that's why some of these clowns say that I don't believe in Satan. But Revelation chapter 12 makes it very clear, as does Luke chapter 10, that Satan is not in heaven now. Okay, so let, let me clarify, uh, just so that we know what, what you and I do not agree on. You believe that the, let me try, try again, uh, the Eve had sex with a member of a group of entities that you refer to as the fallen angels. Is that correct? Well, well, them or their offspring, it doesn't matter. Right. And I maintain that Eve had sex with any, that whoever, well, actually, I, I go with the KKK theory, which is that she had sex with uh, the witch, a witch doctor <laughs> or... Well, I- uh, the biggest, baddest uh, uh, Negro in the on the, in the plantation, or or any any of in other words, in my opinion, it was a human being. So well, you and I disagree on that, right? I've also taught that the other races come from the fallen angels. Oh, don't you necessarily do. disagree on that. No, that we don't disagree. Then, okay, that's interesting. So you think the other races, namely the Negroes, the ch- the Chinks, and the mixed races, get well, well, their None of them were were mentioned as being created by God. None of them. Right, right. That's a new idea for me. Okay. They are all... um, All an angel progeny. They're all demonic in nature, and they've all been worshiping the serpents and the dragons from the dawn of time. Nice. Nice point. There's many reasons. They've all... There's reasons that are anthropological. All these other races appear after the, the original Cro-Magnons and Neanderthals appear in, in the anthrop- anthropological. I want to point out something that is getting lost because the Jews have completely covered it up, and it's terribly important to me. There is a an, an, uh, humanoid who's fully – actually, he, he goes back a million years. He's been dug up in East Anglia, which is only a few miles from London, and uh, – and, and the Jews are claiming it's a Neanderthal, but that's only because 
they were able to destroy the University of East Anglia with a bunch of concocted accusations and force them to change their website, which prior to this Jewish teardown said that this was a different hominid than any of the other hominids. And, and they also are, have found and have dug up fully human remains that date back 800,000 years. Well, now, well that's, yeah, you know, if fallen angels were clearly here before our race, and, and if we had the remains of original fallen angels, we would have to identify them as fully human and probably close to us in, in, in their, um, I don't believe they were exactly like us, but probably very close to us in their physiognomy. Okay, um, let's see, another another question from, this comes from Southworth. Um, he claims, and it's a very interesting point, and I like it, that anyone who gets written in the genealogy of the Old Testament has to have been Adamic or even possibly Israelite. I guess I'm getting confused. But anyway, should not be confused with a non-white because if they were not white, they would not have made it into the genealogy. And what this does is it changes some of the perception of the of the uh, relationships between the families in the Old Testament, giving more credence. Oh, somebody, David Bird, I think David Bird, Bird, Burton agrees with this. Uh, and, and Keith says that there were many more white people in the region than we realize, and that, but I can't remember what the rest of the point was. Well, well I've always taught that. Uh, I have a paper, The Race of Genesis 10, right? They were all white. Even Canaan was white, but Canaan was cursed, and his descendants went off into race mixing at an early time, especially with the Kenites and the Rephaim. But even Canaan was white. Okay, great. I think that is what Keith says. I don't know why he keeps uh, saying you don't agree with that. Okay. All the children were white. If they weren't white, then God's a liar because it's not kind after kind, right? All of the children of Noah were originally white. I explained that in a paper on my website. It's one of my most read papers, The Race of Genesis 10. And I think Keith maintains that Shem, Ham, and Japheth were all pure white as well. well. Well, they were the patriarchs. They had to all be white. Okay, so see, I don't, I don't know if Keith's listening, but see, Keith, I told you. <laughs> okay, um, so that's two points. That's really right on. And I, I'm always getting, I'm always fighting with Keith over you. Um, and the other thing, yeah. Yeah, you know, Keith and I had some bad blood a long time ago, and I'll tell you what's happening with Keith. He's not listening because he, he, he dislikes me, and he's not listening to me honestly when he listens. I wish he would listen to me honestly because I've seen Keith Southworth misquote and misrepresent me. Now, we may not agree on everything. We disagree on a lot of things. But, you know, a lot of things that he thinks we disagree on, we really don't. He just doesn't. No, I know. You're so, so much. I've told him that. I said, you guys are so close together. It's just strange that you fight like this. Uh, and I mean him, him fighting with you. Uh, one last thing. He claims that he can prove that it was the devil who had sex with Eve and that it's not an allegory because the revelation says that something, 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 that old serpent, the devil. Well, well right. But he, he's taking... 
he's he's taking something that is indeed a, a um, an allegory, and he wants the, the old serpent. That old serpent is definitely linked to the fallen angels. There's no doubt. Got it. I totally uh, understand. Uh, I mean, William, I totally understand what you're saying. It is pointing to the allegorical uh, identification of those who had sex with Eve, who was an al- the allegory. Now, do you think that Adam and Eve were real people? Well, yeah, you know, yes, I do, because there had to be a first man, Adam, and because all of the scripture later on says that Adam was a real, tangible person. So, right, I believe but about the allegory- is yeah. that any member of those fallen angels that fell in Revelation 12, any one of that group was a serpent. Got it. I do understand. If kind is after kind, right, then all of their descendants are servants. And that's what we see when we get to the, to the New Testament. Now, there's an entire tree of the knowledge of good and evil, not just a, a, a serpent. And the serpent offered Adam and Eve fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Which they partook of. It it could have been any member of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is all of these primordial descendants of these fallen angels. That's how I look at it, which Adam and Eve could have had sex with. Right. So the knowledge of good and evil is the the seductive curiosity of wanting to know what it's like to have sex with a non-white and learning the hard way, that was evil. That, that's an, that, that could be true allegorically, right? But yeah. I see the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as a race of beings who knew good and revolted from God. Therefore, they were cast out of heaven and learned evil. Because, that, that because they learned evil and did evil, they were cast out of heaven. So those... White who ha- so let me let me see if I understand you. Those white people who have sex with non-whites are they comprise the no- the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and their progeny are the branches from that tree. Right, because they join themselves to that tree. Okay, great. Two trees in the garden is the tree of life. That's Christ and His race, Adam and Eve and their descendants, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the fallen angels, the devil, Satan. These are not proper names. They define any one member of the group, or they define the entire group. Right, and that shows what you what the big basic dual seed line argument is that. There's this tree with its branches, and there's this other tree with its branches. Right. And it's not only Cain. It's every member of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil would be part of the seed of the serpent. I mean, your descendants are your seed, but so is your sister, and so is your brother. They're your seed, too. That's right. And so it's everyone who is not white is from that tree. Thank you, Mona. Thank you, Bill. Okay. I'll hang up now. Appreciate it. Thanks for calling. Bye. (laughs) Thanks for calling. Okay. Somebody wants to know how come the ancient bastards, Hunter, thank you, Hunter, how come the ancient bastards had spirits? 
which are now demons. Well, well, I can't explain that, but you, you know, and I can't explain how or whether other races today don't have spirits, right? But they aren't the spirit of God. They're not the spirit of Yahweh, and only the spirits from Yahweh have eternal life, and bastard spirits are promised to be destroyed. They do not have eternal life. So Jude could be calling them twice dead because once they die physically, well, Yahweh disposes of their spirits. We don't know that, whether or not that's true, because we can't see it. But what Jude could be saying could refer to that as well as to the fact that they don't have spirits. So whether they have bastard spirits or not, which are corruptions of Yahweh's creation, is immaterial, they're twice dead any way you look at it. Because Yahweh said in the book of Enoch that he was going to exterminate all the bastards and the spirits of the watchers. So the bastard spirits are all going to be destroyed. That's their final fate the spirits which are of God, they're going to have eternal life. There's no doubt. That's what the book teaches. Is there any info if the rebellion in the angelic creation was that the rebellious angels created non-whites to worship them first? No, there is messages in Paul of Tarsus and elsewhere that the Fallen angels are the authors of idolatry, but there's no info that says that they created non-whites for any particular reason. Okay, we're going to take one more call, and that's Northeast and... Well, well, I think we have two more people on. I'm going to try to get you both in if you're quick, because it's getting late. Northeast Pennsylvania. Hi. Hi, William. Hello. William, hi. This is uh, this is Sheila. Hello, Sheila. Hi. How are you? I, I was in your chat room. Um, listen, um, I know, like, I respect, like, you know, when you say that you can call up and even if you don't agree, you know, if, if you're nice, you know, that you'll at least hear me out. Well, of and, course. Uh, and I really respect that with all my heart. But, um, you know, um, regarding uh, the fallen angels and... Uh, uh, the miscegenation and all that. Um, what what are your beliefs then, like on Luke ten eighteen, when when uh, Yeshua Jesus says, um, "I saw Satan fall like lightning from the heaven." Yes. Uh, and he was. See, I, I know. Um, I know you're not going to agree with me, but um, I I uh, my beliefs on this. And I'm not trying to make anyone believe like I believe either, but. In my heart, you know, um, I believe that um, Satan, it, uh, that means adversary. It, he, he's, uh, he went against uh, Yahweh. Uh, I, I believe um, that all the angels were created, all the heavenly hosts, and uh, that because Yahweh is perfect, um, he, he could not make anything but perfection. Well, that's true, but those angels chose to rebel. Exactly, exactly. I agree 100% with you there. Absolutely. Just like Eve, like like Adam and Eve, when, when uh, Yahweh specifically told them not to partake of that uh, that evil tree, and they 
they went against him and they rebelled as well. Right. And so, uh, but basically, I I just want to bring that out because I truly believe that um, that. Okay, can I ask you please then about Lucifer? Because I read a long time ago that one of somebody in the in the Catholic religion, I forget who it was now, gave gave him that name, gave Satan the name Lucifer. Do you know anything about that? Well, well, Lucifer only appears in the Bible one time. It's in Isaiah 14, and it's a name for the king of Babylon, and it says, Thou art a man. Yes, yeah, you're right. It's a name. It's a title given to a man. And and Lucifer is simply a, a term which means light bearer. And the ancient kings, they thought that they were the son of, incarnate, that they were light bearers. That's why in the Revelation we see that ultimately Yahshua Christ is the bright and morning star because only he is the true light. Okay, well thank you so very much. I'm I'm grateful that you allowed me to have this time. I'll let the other callers because I know the time is short, but thank you very much. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you for calling and praise Yahweh. We'll see you soon. Yahweh bless. I think we have one more call. Do we have one more call? Northeast and North Central Pen. Oh, no, they were the same call. They're both Sheila. I'm sorry. I thought it was two. Okay, it's, it, it's late already. This is a, a, a very fast two hours, and, and I'm going to end it here. I want to thank everybody who participated. I, I hope I got to most of the questions. Uh, I know that Bob's email, there's two questions left. I'll try to work them into my programs the next week or two, and, and we'll answer those too. Praise, every, praise Yahweh. Thank you, everybody, for participating. And I'll be here tomorrow night with Swen Longshanks of the Daily Stormer and his other websites. I, I don't even know if I can pronounce the words. Arianisrael.wordpress.com and, and the Daily Stormer and Fast Sovereign Welton Chong. The, the websites will be linked on the program announcement at Christiania.org and on the program when it's posted. Tomorrow night, Swen Longshanks. Thank you, everybody, and good night. Praise Yahweh. And to hell with all you trolls.